So we're going to be reading weekly, week 44. Why tell God anything when he knows everything? Why offer God anything when he has everything? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Jesus Christ teaches us the ideal prayer, one that addresses very human demands to God. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forget our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus himself say just before suggesting this prayer, your father knoweth what things you have need or need of before ye ask him. Why then his recommendation that we pray for anything? The answer is that we should offer ourselves up into acceptance of his abundance. Don't pester God as thought pulling constantly on his sleeve to get his attention. Approach him with the confidence of a child in his parents. And in that spirit, ask, then ask him lovingly, but with complete trust, as he though demanding your birthright, and without the slightest doubt in your mind that he wants only your best. For you don't have to persuade him the way a beggar or a stranger might. You are his own child. God knows everything already. He knows what is in your heart. It is you who need to clarify your feelings, that you're attuned yourself to him in turn more clearly. For only by such clarity will you be able to receive perfectly what he gives you. For the same reason, we need to offer ourselves to him, not because he needs anything from us, except, as Yogananda said, our love to complete his love on us, for us. But because by self-giving, we span our awareness from his confinement in the little ego over to infinity. Those who partake of the nectar remaining after the sacrifice, says the Bhagavad Gita in the fourth chapter, obtain the infinite spirit. That person, however, who makes no sacrifices never truly succeeds in enjoying every, even the blessings of this material world. How then could he obtain happiness in subtler realms? Thus, through the Holy Scriptures, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunday service from the Temple of Light at Ananda Village. It's our pleasure and joy to be here with you. My name is Atman and this is Bhakti Marg, and we both serve here at Ananda Village. So we'll continue our service today with readings from Whispers from Eternity. And I'm gonna speak a lot about this book during the talk today. And to start things off, uh, the reading today mentioned the Lord's Prayer. And Yogananda did an interpretation of the Lord's Prayer here as well, which I'm gonna read for you. So if you all recall, Lord's Prayer is, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And Kriyananda spoke about the, that this is a, a very fitting prayer that Jesus gave us. It, it fits right with what Yogananda taught as a way to pray, that it's not a, a beggarly rote prayer. It's a very personal prayer. It's asking for God for our birthright. It's asking for what we need. And this is Yogananda's further interpretation of that or further clarification of it. O Heavenly Father, Mother, Friend, Beloved God, may the halo of thy presence spread over all minds. May the religion of matter worship be converted into loving, direct worship of thee. Since without thy power to love, we cannot truly love anything. May we love thee first and above everything else. May the heavenly kingdom of bliss where thou dwellest manifest itself with all its divine qualities on earth. And may all lands be free from limitations, imperfections, and miseries. Let thy kingdom within us manifest itself without. Father, leave us not in the pit of temptations into which we fell by the misuse of thy gift of reason. When we become freer and stronger, should it be thy wish to test us, to seek whether we love thee more than any temptation, then, Father, make thyself more tempting than, uh, than temptation. O oh, Father, if it be thy wish to test us, help us keep our willpower strong enough to meet all thy tests. Give us our daily bread, food, health, and prosperity for the body, efficiency for the mind, and above all, thy wisdom and love for our souls. Teach us to deliver ourselves with thy help from the meshes of ignorance which we have woven through our own carelessness. So last week in our readings, we started a discussion about prayer and about the best way to pray. And we talked about that it was often easier for people to pray to some more concrete manifestation of God rather than God the unmanifest. So God is a deity, is a guru, is a master, is a something that's more easy to see rather than the Gyanic approach of trying to relate to this cosmic ground of being or this unmanifest reality. And that works well for, for us. We all know that there's a power in prayer. We've all probably had the experience of a prayer being answered, or at least what we think of being answered. Asha wrote a whole book of gathering devotees' experiences of, of answered prayers. It's called Answered Prayers. And so we, you know, for some of us, it's a, it's a very natural thing, especially for those of a more devotional quality or a more easily transforming those emotions, that love, into a devotional prayer, a, a relationship with the divine. But this reading this week, we move on into questions about prayer. And the intellect sometimes has some questions. And what the heart may be willing to just enter into, the mind sort of starts wondering. And it asks these questions of why 
you know, why are we praying? Why should I offer God anything if he already has everything? Why should I tell God anything when he already knows everything? And this static in our minds can lessen the power of the prayer, of prayer. So I want to talk a little bit about that today, about trying to look at some of these questions and getting ourselves into alignment with why we pray, how we pray, what the purpose of prayer is. And that's where we come to this wonderful book of Whispers from Eternity. This is a book of prayer demands. It was written by the prayer demands of Yogananda and then edited by Kriyananda. Kriyananda in his forward to this, or his preamble he calls it, says, I consider this one of my greatest spiritual contributions of my life to be able to edit this book. And he did this toward the end of his life in 2008. This was after he wrote The Essence of the Bhagavad Gita, after he wrote another 100 books. Yet he introduced this one saying that this was one of his greatest spiritual gifts. And he also said, I sought to not change anything, that all I was doing was trying to make it more clear. And Yogananda himself considered this one of his greatest contributions to spiritual literature, one of his greatest writings. And he said, you know, when, when I am only a dream, read my whisper from eternity. Eternally through it, I will speak to you. And he sets out in this book answers to those questions or ways why we pray the way we do, a whole new way of looking at prayer from the typical traditional methods of Dwapara Yuga, where it was tended to be rote prayers that were set in specific patterns of dogma that was approved by councils of wise priests and things, and people would just repeat that, and that was enough. And Yogananda said, no, no, that's not at all what's going on here. We are not beggars who are supplicating this God who is outside of us, who is try, we're trying to earn favor with, or we're trying through flattery or, or kind words to gain his attention. So that's not at all what's happening here. What's really happening is we're trying to connect to eternity. And in the, he has actually three different introductions in this book, Yogananda does. And the first, it just says, whispers from eternity. And he talks about what he's trying to do in these books. He said, it's very difficult to connect with a unmanifest God. And that connection comes through connection with the manifestation of God in our own soul, in our own being. And eternity is that being, that being that was within us, that spark of the divine. And so we're trying to make a connection between the whispers that are coming from our own soul, our own, our own spark of God, with our own, with back to our minds that can guide our actions. And so prayer is this bridge. It's this opening of a line of communication. It's a way of trying to to listen, to draw on, to make that connection to eternity. But eternity, again, it's part, it's ourselves. It's our own spark of the divine, which is within, inside of us. And, well, what's the problem? I mean, if we're just a spark of the divine, how come we, we aren't always just in that? Why do we, you know, why do we need this imperfect vehicle of words and prayer? And it's just 
like another technique on our path, essentially. I mean, we have all these techniques of yoga that are trying to do exactly that. They're trying to get us past that confused, chaotic entanglements of our own, of our own conflicting energies, which create this, this little vortices of which is us. And we're trying to get past that and reconnect to what the true nature is, our true source in the divine. And these words are ways of doing that. And Yogananda says, words are imperfect. They're, they're just a, a, an attempt to encapsulate a thought, a consciousness, and above all, in this case, the prayers, an experience that he had of the divine, an experience of what it's like to be in direct communion with that. And so in this book, he sets out all these through the words that he said he felt he communed with. He felt these words coming from the divine. They were spiritualized prayers, and he wanted to try to transmit those to us. And he says, you know, to do that, we have to make them our own. We have to look past this form of the word. We have to look past the ink and the paper. We have to try to get to see what's behind it because it's that experience. It's that, it's that feeling of that channel, of that openness to eternity, to our own selves, that we're trying to then bring into this to dissipate some of these chaotic entanglements of our own thoughts and actions and attachments and desires, which keep us from being a pure and open channel back to that divine. So why is it that this is such a difficult thing? And Yogananda in his next section, he has this next section that calls hints to the reader. And he has this little parenthesis, pay attention, read carefully, right here. He said, all right, what's going on here? He said, you really need to, to tune in beyond what your own, try to get beyond your own consciousness because your consciousness is limited. Your consciousness is not at one with the divine. And so I'm offering you the best I can, the best representation of what this consciousness felt like to me. And I'm offering that to you, but you need to tune in to make it your own. You need to look at that as part of your own spiritual path. And he says the way to do this, again, is, is by affirming what we really are, affirming that oneness, not affirming our separateness. And so typically prayers can be from this point of view of God is out there, I'm a sinner, I have to you know, approach this, oh please God help me, I've been a sinner, I've been in, uh, such a bad person and can you please forgive me and couldn't you just give me a little of this? No, he says that's affirming where you are in this confusion of entangled chaos. What you need to do is to start with what's real. The real is the oneness in that. And so it start as a demand, as if a child, we are a spark of the divine. We are a child of the divine. What's inside us is that divinity. So start from that and pray as a child would to its parents, as, a, as just with full expectation that the father, the mother wants to give that, wants to reaffirm what is in the child and you know, looks aside at all the misunderstandings and stuff, but 
do it with fervor, with energy, but with a knowledge that that is my birthright. That is my own true self. This is my, that unity is what I deserve. And so from praying from that demand, rather than the supplication, gets us going on the right place. Then he says, you have to, in deep meditation, you have to, as much as you can, calm that tangled mess, which is our attachments and desires in meditation, try to bring the energy up, try to quiet that interference, that static, as much as you can. I always, I always keep coming, the image that keeps coming to me is the, is the image from Charlie Brown of Pigpen. And there's, we're just, you know, we're just kind of like Pigpen. We just have all this, all this stuff around us that's always there, all this dirt we keep attracting from the world, all these material desires. And, you know, if we could just sort of let that settle down, and then we can open up that channel for prayer for a little bit to be able to, to start that connection, to be able to get past this, this dichotomy. And so he says, treat your, uh, try to tune into what my experience was behind those words that I'm offering you here. And he says, it's like a, a prayer plant and the, the, the stem and the leaves of the plant are the words that I'm offering you here that you can see or that you offer through your own prayers. But the flowers are going to be coming and going and they may be different for each person. Each, each this same flower plant may result in a different kind of, or this uh, prayer plant may result in a different kind of flower coming out. And it may be a different flower on a different time of, of the time. You, you may do a prayer one way, one day, and you'll get one kind of flower. You may do a prayer, the same prayer, the same prayer plant, but you get another one. The point is to not get stuck in that form, but to use the form, it's what we have, the technique is through words, use that form and try to find those blossoms, that, that prayer, those prayer, uh, that bliss, that love, that connection, that communication, which is behind that. So I don't know about you, but when, when I try to pray, it's, um, it's often a varied experience. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not so good. I think Swami had, a, in one of his writings, he had this uh, saying that it's, it's like we have uh, our prayers, unfocused prayers sometimes bounce around in the, the void of our subconscious, looking for some way to connect with something, but often just falling off into the void. And I could relate to that. You know, you start there, you're in blissful meditation, you're ready to pray, and, and you're praying, and these words are coming, and then all of a sudden, whoosh, there goes the mind back into that entangled chaos of the, those patterns of energy, or, or you just sort of forget what you were saying and you're suddenly drifting off into something else. Well, guess what? That's not a very effective way to pray. It's not very, it's not going to really open that channel up. It's not really affirming what that, what that sense is of connection. And so in that way, more formalized prayers, such as what you might find in this book, the words that are there, can help us to focus that energy. And so taking those words, reading them, and making them your own, again, trying to water that prayer plant till it gives you your own flowers. But again, that formal words can help, like our healing prayers at the end of meditation. Having 
some formula, some focus as a place to start, can be very helpful in focusing our energy. And with our prayers, like with any of our spiritual techniques, we want that energy to be as focused and energetic as possible, because that's what's going to bust through those, that chaos and that entanglement and make that connection to eternity, that eternity that we're seeking to get. So focus and attention. And, you know, the masters clearly show us this. I mean, a master can, can change reality at whim if it's God's will. And how do they do it? They do it with tremendous focused attention and connection. How did Yogananda pray when he... He, was, uh, he got the call to go to America, he got the invitation, and he said, he was a, you know, he had some hesitation. He said, yeah, am I gonna fall into the pits of materialism that, are, that I'm gonna find in America? And so he said, I need an answer. And so what did he do? He went into his meditation room, and for an entire morning, he just, he just prayed and prayed and prayed. And he said, as it describes in the autobiography, he said, you know, he prayed until he could his, he just, he couldn't pray with words anymore, just with the wistful yearnings of his heart. And he, his, his, prayer to, his prayer was until he had the sense of anguishing, anguishing longing that he, he you know, he had all his, his energy focused into that. And what happened? Babaji then appeared to him, but he didn't appear right away. And so then, this is the masters showing us this does take a great deal of focus. It takes a great deal of energy. It takes uh, all your concentration, just like with all other techniques, to be the most effective prayer. And I think we can relate to that too, that sometimes, I mean, at least I can say that sometimes I don't fall just into the void of subconscious, and I don't just get lost in the, the focused route of a certain formula of prayer. But there's times when that channel opens and words just come, and then the words give way to thought and to feeling and to an experience. But, but there is the, a sense of the, the words helping to channel that and then open that up unlike just feeling a current in Kriya or feeling just a peace. But there is something that there's times when words have just come to me of just, you know, a, a similar to, I'd like to think similar to some of the poetic longings that are in Whispers from Eternity. So it does happen. That can open. You can prime the pump by reading these Whispers from Eternity, by putting your energy, putting your focus into that prayer plant, but know that at some point, that channel does open up, that channel does come. So if you look at these prayers in here, they're for all sorts of situations. They give us, Swami said, they, they let us know the attitudes of a true seeker, a sincere seeker after God, communion. What are the correct attitudes? How does one react in all these different situations? But there's these interesting, if you look through these and as you read these, you see there's these patterns of, in his metaphors, he takes all kinds of different situations, amazing different metaphors, amazing different plays of words that Swami has helped clarify in his editing. But what happens usually, there's, I mean, often there's, we're in darkness, we're in obscurity, we're lost, we're, we're in dim light, we're, we're not making a connection, we're, we're feeling forsaken, we're feeling forgotten. 
And then there's an evolution, there's a transfer of the light comes in, the darkness lifts, clarity comes back, intellectual understanding comes, a connection is made, and that light opens up. And so there's, a, there's this basic formula in these prayers of moving from this chaotic entanglement of where we are, moving into that light, into that opening, into that connection with eternity. And it's just been phrased in myriad, myriad different ways with all kinds of different channels, all different ways. But Yogananda says the, the best prayer is really to pray for unity, pray for connection with that oneness. And he shows us very many ways to do that. So it's not praying for a specific thing, it's praying for unity. Why? Because what we wanna do is we wanna get past this wrong thinking. I mean, God gave us all, uh, all this uh, free will, our reason, and he let us go. And that's the reason, because the question comes up, well, you know, how do we get into such a mess anyway? I mean, if God is all knowing and this beautiful thing, how come we're not there? How come we're suffering? And he addresses it here in his preamble and his, his thing. He said, because you did it. You used your will wrongly. You used your reason wrongly. You created a karma that created these entanglements, these flows of energy. You're the one who got yourself into this mess. And so you're not going to get out of it just by saying, God, could you like... Uh, forget that law for now of cause and effect. Can we like go against the law of karma and just, let's just reverse this one. I didn't really mean it. He says, God's not gonna go against his laws. So an answered prayer is not asking God to change his laws. What it's asking is us to change our understanding and thus open the door for that better connection, for that better, that flow of grace which can pull us out of that, but it's not, it's not gonna, he's not gonna change the laws for us, but what he will do is help us move in the right direction. And so that's why we pray, God, your will, not my will. I will reason, I will will, I will act, but guide thou my reason, will, and activity to the right thing in all circumstances. Because once we can get back on the right path, that's what's going to get us past these entanglements, past this chaos of our own being, and able to get us back into that connection. And there's times when, when we may have made such a mess with our karma, or there's, there's such a, a heavy thing that, you know, even us shifting our actions of, you know, uh, living in a healthier way, of not being drawn into the materialism, it still may not, it may not change everything. And there is that chance, once you have that connection to eternity, to God's will, there's a chance for a grace to come that other way. And that grace coming back can help dissolve those karmic bonds that we've created. And Swami is a very interesting example in this. Swami, Lord knows he had many, many, many challenges in his life and uh, physical challenges, but he never, prayed for himself. There's that story in the path when he, he, was, he had a kidney stone, which was excruciatingly painful, and he had to give Sunday service. He didn't pray for take this pain away, because his understanding was he knew. He knew, I've created whatever I am receiving, that my actions in the past, it's my karma, and this may be 
what God's will for me. So I'm not questioning that. I'm just doing it. What he did pray for was, though, if you'd like me to give Sunday service, you need to help me. I need some grace. I need some help coming in here. So don't do it for me, but do it for my expansion into helping other people, my understanding of that oneness, not any kind of reinforcing of my separateness, but reinforcing of my connection with others. And so that he was given the grace to do that. And over and over when he was facing challenges, especially in the latter part of his life, he would just give it back to God. He said, God, if you want to take this body now, that's your business. If you want me to suffer like this, if this is I'm paying off karma, that's fine. If you'd like me to be able to do other things, then show me what you'd like me to do and give me the strength and give me the energy to be able to do that. And so it's a good example for us of how to pray. It's not just, I want this, I need this, please relieve this. said, what is your will? I want to do your will. I want to, and what is your will? Again, will is connection with that oneness. He just wants us to live correctly. And so there's one last question I wanted to address, and that's, how does it work praying for other people? I mean, because again, why, if that's their karma, and it's between them and God, why am I getting involved praying for them? I'm having enough issues getting my own channels open here and trying to figure out what I'm doing. Why am I praying for other people? Well, remember, they're a spark of the divine just like you are. Their eternity and your eternity are the same thing. And so making a connection through their chaos and entanglement of their flows of energy can help you as well, and it might help them. So it can be a service, again, getting you out of your own little self and helping them or helping you make that channel, but it may also help them. And that depends on exactly what it is that they're dealing with. What is their ego? What are their desires and attachments look like? Is there an openness? Is there a receptivity? But when we pray, we don't really need to worry about that part of it. You can't, you know, the intellect can get him and say, well, man, that guy's pretty deep in some karma here. I mean, my little prayers aren't going to have any effect on him, so I'm not going to bother. No, don't think that. There's a spark of the divine over there, just like your spark of the divine. And you can maybe help open that channel by sending some, some energy, sending some healing prayers, trying to help that flow open up in that little karmic, cosmic, mess <laughs> of connections that they're going through. And so we can help other people. But again, it's pray for if it be thy will rather than specific things. It's trying to open that channel up for them to say, help them connect with what God's will is for them. What does unity look like for them? What is their path to it? And so we can make a difference. And it's a very important part of our spiritual path is this prayer, not only for our own connection, but for the connection for others. And if we can pray in that way with focus and with energy and with all our concentration and drawing on the tremendous inspiration that's in this book of all these spiritualized demands that uh, Yogananda has primed the pump with, has opened us up, has asked us to tune into, if we can pray that way, we really can open that channel for the divine for ourselves, and we can help other people, and it can be a very important tool on our path to self-realization.
Must I cry? 